We've talked before on the programme about exchange-traded funds. One of our Money Talk Extra contributors is an avid investor into ETFs. He's with me now to tell us why. Tariq Dennison, Portfolio Manager at GFM Asset Management. Good morning, Tariq. Good morning, Peter. When did you first start using ETFs? Well, I first started looking at them in the uh, late 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, at that time, there was mostly Spider, but then iShares, uh, then part of BGI, was starting to launch several uh, shares that traded like stocks through which you could trade individual countries. I could trade Malaysia, I could trade Korea, I could trade Singapore as though they were a single stock listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And what was the attraction of them as a, as a professional investor? Well, part of the main attraction is, first of all, their purity, their universal access. Uh, it's not as though I'm buying them through an agent who's getting paid an upfront commission to distribute them to me. I'm buying them on a stock exchange the same way that CalPERS, the same way that a large hedge fund would buy the same exact shares, same share class, same fee structure. Also, it, of course, helps that the fees themselves are a lot lower. So if, say, if I wanted to buy the S&P 500, at that time, it would cost 0.2%. Now it costs 0.03%, a tiny fraction of what almost any other fund would charge for the same exposure. And since that time in the 1990s, the ETF market has grown enormously, hasn't it? Well, it actually really took off after the financial crisis. So since the 1990s, throughout much of the, the noughties, the, uh, from 2000 to 2010, it grew but fairly slowly. You saw several different ETF launches, the first gold ETF, the first high yield ETF, the first muni bond ETF. But it really was only after the financial crisis when many investors sold shares in their active funds and found this lower cost alternative to asset allocation and most importantly in the U.S., fee-based advisors like myself started taking this on as a core part of building investment portfolios. That's really when it took off. And now, what sort of percentage of your investment portfolio do these make up? ETFs now probably only make between 30 and 40% of our overall investment portfolio. There's a few reasons for that. One is for fixed income. It's the main way that we can access many fixed income markets where we can't trade individual bonds, especially in smaller accounts. Um, there are still some legacy accounts where, of course, we've had to sell out mutual fund positions and replace them with ETFs. But one of the challenges that many ETFs in this region have is that uh, ETF fees are much higher here than they are in the U.S. So in many cases, it's easier for us to just, for example, uh, buy 50 A-share stocks rather than buying a 75 basis point A-share ETF. And why is that? Why are the fees so much higher here compared to other parts of the world? That's an excellent question, Peter. My only guess would be is because they could get away with it. Um, <laughs> I One of the challenges overall, uh, fund fees in Asia tend to be much higher than they do in the US, purely because I believe the standards of disclosure are still lower, the way of selling and distributing them are lower. The tendency for clients here to ask about fees is, is not as high as it should be, and we need more investor education for that. Uh, but then the ETF itself really hasn't taken off in the same way. There you have really mm -hmm. tremendous amounts of competition, uh, which has been pushing down fees, and fee-based advisors whose full-time job it is to put clients in the most cost-effective ETF. So these days, given the choice between a mutual fund and an ETF, what would you tend to choose? Well, for me, it's almost always clear that an ETF would be better than a mutual fund, although when you can buy individual securities, that's often but not always better than the ETF. I often say that a mutual fund is like an, an eight-track cassette or maybe a vinyl record. The ETF upgrades that really to the level of a compact disc. Now, the, le mm -hmm. the next level is when do we have investments that are more like iTunes, where you have direct ownership, the ability to customize on, on personal account basis. But there's no doubt that an ETF is a huge step up from a mutual fund in terms of 
of transparency, accessibility, and low cost. So the cost, is that the main driver when you compare it to mutual funds? Well, one of my uh, favorite journalists covering the ETF space is uh, Eric Valkunas at Bloomberg. And he says that there's only two things that would make an ETF successful. One is it either has to be dirt cheap or the other, it has to be a really shiny object. It has to really shine on a certain theme. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, you have to have an AI ETF or a marijuana ETF, a way of trading a particular theme that people are talking about as easily as you can trade a single stock. But more, uh, more, more than the shiny objects, I believe that their main drivers are dirt cheap. If you look at the top 10 ETFs, the ones with billions in assets under management, they all charge less than 20 basis points. And in terms of the process of buying and selling them, is that also easier than buying and selling a mutual fund? Well, that's where I think there's a bit of a difference. For me, it's a lot easier because I'm comfortable logging on to a brokerage account and buying and selling stocks on an exchange. Mm. I think for many everyday individuals, the, the idea of whether to place a limit order, an end-of-day order, a market order versus, say, just giving money to an advisor and having them settle it at the end of the day, that may be more of a mechanical difference. That said, though, now far more ETF volume happens at the closing price at the end of day. Uh, than does during during the middle of the day. So the often quoted difference between ETFs trading through the day and mutual funds, I think, is uh, is disappearing. So what are going to be the developments here in Asia, and um, particularly in Hong Kong for the ETF markets? It's one of the products that's going to be hopefully added to the Stock Connect scheme at some point. Well, that's been much talked about is, uh, is ETF Connect. And the way that we've been talking about ETF Connect is still mostly, as a, I think, a one-way point of interest. The mainland is very interested in getting access to foreign markets through ETFs listed in Hong Kong. I don't know too many people I've talked to in Hong Kong that really want access mainland ETFs, at least, at least not yet. Uh, but the point going forward in Hong Kong is, I'd say, much beyond Connect. It more has to do with our population here that is getting older and has greater need for income products. And right now, many Hong Kong people, for example, will buy property or will buy foreign property because they don't know where else to get stable income producing uh, products. Uh, Having a broader range of foreign REIT ETFs, uh, high yield fixed income ETFs, active fixed income ETFs available here in Hong Kong at lower and lower cost will be an important part of the future of the industry here. But I think you also need greater user acceptance, greater user education, and ultimately adoption by the MPFA to have these standard investments in uh, MPF schemes. And will this attract, do you think, more foreign investors to come and look at the Hong Kong markets and the mainland markets if um, if ETFs are accepted into uh, ETF Connect? Uh, I not... I'm not necessarily convinced that ETF Connect is going to attract foreign investors to Hong Kong any more than before, other than the fact that it will make those ETFs more liquid. And Mm -hmm. the ones that foreigners have long been attracted to, the main one being 2823, uh, purely because for the longest time, it was the easiest way of accessing the A-share market Mm -hmm. in a a single fund. And that's one that's really evolved through the years. That's been one of the top traded ones here. Uh, Just to be clear, 2823 uh, is an ETF that tracks the top 50 uh, China A-share, uh, A-share companies listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. Um, and I think foreign investors who still come here are going to trade ETFs that, that uh, trade better in Hong Kong than overseas, mostly going to be greater China themes. I don't think anyone is still going to come to Hong Kong, for example, to trade Philippines or to trade uh, Germany because you can trade that more easily in, in London or New York. Tariq, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me, Peter. That was Tariq Dennison, Portfolio Manager from GFM Asset Management. Thank you for joining us this week. Next week is World Investor Week, and I'll be at the Investor Education Seminar, co-hosted by the Hong Kong Investor Education Centre and Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing. 
Jimmy Lang will meet a listener who's had a bad investment experience to find out what happened. In the meantime, from me, Peter Lewis, have a great weekend. 